and welcome to a very special edition of the Unions 21 podcast. This is an edition is special because it focuses on Prospect's work for its members in challenging the iniquity, the unfairness and the downright discrimination of unequal pay simply based on the gender of the employee. With me, Sue Ferns, Deputy General Secretary of Prospect. Sue, I understand that this Friday is Equal Pay Day. What, does, what is that and why is it important to your union? Equal Pay Day uh, is the day in the year when effectively women stop getting paid for their work. Uh, women who work alongside men because of the gender pay gap effectively are working for free for the rest of the year. Now, that has to be wrong, doesn't it? If women and men are doing the same job or they're doing equivalent jobs, we believe that they should be paid the same. Uh, and the fact that they aren't means that we have to have an annual equal pay day to highlight that injustice. But I mean, we've had the Equal Pay Act for well, nearly 50 years. I mean, and, and surely the gap has, has narrowed and continues to narrow. Well, it's a scandal, isn't it, that we've had an Equal Pay Act for decades and yet still we've got a gender pay gap. And in fact, uh, this year the gender pay gap has risen a little from uh, 18.1% last year to 18.4% this year. That's the difference in pay between median male and median female earnings. So it's quite a significant difference. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, discrimination is one of them. Uh, but there are other reasons too. Uh, if you look across different industries, and this applies very much to Prospect, where you have male-dominated industries, uh, we have what we call gender segregation, so we've got lots and lots of men doing high-quality, well-paid jobs, uh, and very few women in those industries. Many organisations are dominated by males at the upper levels of the hierarchy, which makes a difference in terms of the overall gender pay gap. And of course, we have women who still take the brunt of caring responsibilities in the home, often having to drop down to part-time hours to accommodate that. And again, that contributes to the gender pay gap. So if Prospect has a strategic objective of trying to eradicate the pay gap in, in the areas in which the union is recognised and, and active, what's happening on a day-to-day basis? Well, we have to be talking pay with employers. So... First of all, we need to encourage employees, which we do very much, to undertake equal pay reviews or equal pay audits. And the reason for that is to identify where those gaps exist, because that enables you then to start asking questions about why they exist. Whether it is, in fact, uh, discrimination uh, by employees in the way that they pay men and women, or whether it has to do with the way they structure their workforces, which comes down often to very practical issues like how they recruit people, where they recruit from, what their progression and promotion practices look like. So we look at the figures in order to identify where the problems are and then start asking questions about what the causes of those problems are and then, of course, we can start to address them. And presumably in this process, the role of the member, the individual member, is crucial because they are the people who are possibly suffering the pay discrimination and they're also the source of the vital information that prospects and negotiators need. Absolutely. Of course, we always work with members on all of these issues. Uh, If it's an issue of pay discrimination, of course, that has to relate to particular members or groups of members, and we've had many cases in relation to that. But even looking more widely at equal pay audits or equal pay reviews, of course, we want to involve members and representatives in that. It's their organisation. They understand it best. And actually, it is people within the organisations 
who know effectively what the problem is. We'll hear in a moment from Prospect's Head of Legal, Marion Spavon, about the union's campaign uh, in the courts to address this anomaly. But if, Sue, there are non-members uh, who are in Prospect-recognised uh, areas who are listening to this and they want to get involved, they feel that they themselves are, are getting an unfair deal uh, at work, presumably the easiest and best thing for them to do is to join Prospect. Uh, I would always say that if what you're interested in is fair pay and transparent pay, it's extremely difficult to achieve that as an individual. If you as an individual have to deal directly with your employer, you'll get limited information, you've got limited resource to be able to deal with that. Um, often equal pay issues, gender pay issues are in fact quite complex to resolve. So what we have in the union is the resource, the expertise to put into those issues, to negotiate, to campaign in order to get justice for members. Sue, thank you very much. With me at the moment is Marion Scoville, who is the Head of Legal Services, if that's the right title, Marion, for Prospect. Head of Legal. It sounds snappy, Head head of Legal. And of course, Prospects, a large chunk of Prospects members are in in STEM, Science and Technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, and does the E stand for engineering? I'm never quite sure. Yes. So, and, and, and there are some fairly entrenched equal pay type mm. issues there. And what's the prospect strategy for mm. trying to, to eliminate the pay gap, as it were? Yeah, I mean, as you say, Simon, it is a big issue for prospect, um, largely because so many of our members work in very traditionally male-dominated workforces, um, and that's obviously particularly so in STEM. And probably for about the last 15 years or more, we've been concentrating on equal pay um, issues around length of service. Because what we've found in many of the uh, male-dominated areas, that where you have a pay structure that's based on length of service, that's likely to discriminate against women members. The reason for that, I think, is firstly, uh, you've got the traditional issues around women's family and caring responsibilities. But particularly within our areas, it's the fact that women have not been in the workforce as engineers and scientists and patent officers and meteorologists for as long. And therefore, anything that's based on length of service has a disproportionate impact on women in many areas. So that's really been the focus of our challenge. Okay, so what what tactics can you use to to address Mm. that? I mean, obviously, from a societal point of view, and if you take the trading movement as a whole, mm. we can and do argue mm. that actually childcare should be more evenly distributed Absolutely. between the genders, that, that, that actually huge, great, long pay scales that take mm-hmm. you 17 years to get from mm-hmm. the bottom to the top mm-hmm. um, are, are not tenable or credible, that are illegal in today's in, in environment. But, but that's at a kind of macro level. At the more micro level, yeah. uh, for prospect branches, for example, yeah. what support can you and your team give to them? Well, what we've been doing really is focusing on information and training, because I think that's really important for reps, that they understand, particularly with difficult, complex issues like equal pay, how the law can be used as a tool. So we've been running hundreds of cases over recent years. We had particularly the two lead cases against the Health and Safety Executive, uh, where we were in the European Court in 2006, and then uh, in the Court of Appeal the following year, uh, really challenging those cases. And they really had the breakthrough, I think, in terms of this argument, that where the pay structure is disproportionately affecting women, the employer must be able to justify it. And as you say, almost impossible for an employer in any sense to say a 17-year pay scale is going to be justifiable 
if that's having an adverse impact on, on women. So the litigation strategy has been a key part of that, and that's obviously what uh, myself and the legal team are concentrating on. But I think it's so important to recognise it's only part of the tool. Um, because particularly in one of our recent cases at the Met Office, we had a whole range of different strategies. So the branch produced uh, Equal Pay Manifesto, which they're very proud of, to try and raise the issue, challenge the issue. They used this in lobbying Parliament, so they had a demonstration in the lobby um, at Parliament, and they also took strike action to try and get the message across. Um, so it was undoubtedly the legal claim that made the breakthrough to that, but the other factors were so important. Of course, because there's this, this, this age-old uh, conundrum, in a way, that, of course, employment contracts mm. are individual, mm-hmm. But unions are all about collective action and collective bargaining. And I'm struck, though, by the examples you, you've quoted, Marion, that, that, that these are public services, mm-hmm. even though there has been a swathe of agency and privatisation, outsourcing, and, and so, so on. These are still things that people say, well, this is the government's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say equal pay is being sacrificed on the expediency of an austerity policy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we've seen is that, I mean, particularly following our key litigation in the mid-2000s, a lot of public sector bodies were recognising the problem, trying to deal with the issues, trying to make fairer and more equal pay systems. And then we had the government's pay restraint policy. Um, So we had two years of no pay increases at all, and then the 1% pay increase following that. And what that did was just set in stone all the inequalities existed. So our recent cases, it's not the case where equality uh, levels have gotten better, they've got worse because of the austerity agenda and particularly the government's pay policy. And what we've seen in our recent cases, and particularly again coming back to the Met Office case, uh, which has just been settled now, this has really busted the government's pay cap. Um, It's a way of using the law to um, make significant improvements. So um, I haven't got the figures, but the amount of new money into wages within the Met Office has been considerable. And we've got um, not just increases in pay for the 77 women claimants um, and back pay, but we've also created a whole new pay system for the Met Office which is going to bring the gender pay gap down from over 10% to less than 1% by 2019. And that is a fairly extraordinary result. Well, it's an amazing result. It's a fantastic yeah. result. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a huge leap mm-hmm. towards, towards gender equality and towards legality, yeah. given that the situation is found to be, to, be, uh, mm-hmm. to, to be unlawful. I mean... <sighs> To state the obvious, I suppose you know you could you, you could you could say that actually um, actually the chancellor's got a brass brass neck on this, hasn't he? Because <laughs> because because, because 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 here is here is political illiteracy mm. in terms of a government policy and an adherence, and mm-hmm. you could say with gender pay audits, it's going to be the same story mm-hmm. over again. When actually there's there's mm. no means, let alone any real intention, mm. of implementing the output mm. of, of, of that. Incredible. It is incredible. And it's really awful that people have to rely on the law, particularly in an area like this where the law is so complex and so time-consuming. The HSE cases we took uh, were almost 10 years from beginning to end. 
and we had in that time nine different court hearings, including the European Court, the Court of Appeal, Joint Appeal Tribunal. So you just think that is um, completely unjust that individuals can't bring those claims. Really, it's only unions that can can manage those. Um, and therefore, I think it is very unfair and it's awful that the law actually has to be used in a way when you've got a government that's on the face of it saying they're working towards equality. And I think that's one of the problems with the gender pay gap regulations, really, that it's window dressing, in my view. But is it not the case that the, the gender pay audits, to, to kind of move across to that sort of subject, at least offer, offer an opportunity to increase the visibility, the literacy, mm-hmm. the, the campaigning and organising mm. scope of, for doing work on, the, on, on, on this issue? They do, and that's why I think we've uh, put a lot of time and effort into information resources for reps, because we need to get that information into the workplaces, um, and union reps are working to identify problems within pay audits, pushing for full pay audits, but it's still very much a public sector problem, or a public sector issue in terms of dealing with it, because the problem's there in the private sector, where you've got such opaque pay systems that is often very hard to bottom that out. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, then you, there's a very difficult kind of, uh, not difficult actually, but a very, very unpleasant kind of political tie-up mm. between forces in society who dislike the public sector, are, are philosophically opposed to the notion mm. of, of a public sector, thinking, great, the public sector's in a mess, we can, we can mm. attack them in the media and, 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 run, and, and run them down. There's also another irony, I don't know if, if you've got a view on this, I don't know if they're prospect members actually, I suspect they might be PCS and, and FDA, but, but, but of course the Enforcement Authority for the Equal Pay, uh, or audits, is, yeah. is the Equality and Human Rights Commission, which has been starved of resources in the last few yeah. years. So, you know, non-compliance yeah. and you get, uh, you, you, you get, a, you get a watchdog mm. that have had their teeth surgically removed, you might say. On that. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of our big criticisms of the new gender pay gap regulations, that there isn't really any effective enforcement mechanism. And that needs to be brought in to ensure that employers are doing things. Because I think the pay gap regulations are a good start, and unions have a fabulous track record of making limited areas of law work for us, and we'll be using that, and we'll be pushing on those. Um, but actually, it is the fact that you need to delve down, you need to have much more detailed analysis. And sometimes I think it's the employers that are prepared to take the issue seriously and work with unions in creating audits that then get kicked by the litigation process. Um, and, you know, that that's sad. Yeah, I think, I, I, I would imagine we, we would agree as individuals mm. and, and, you know, from a Unions 21 and, and mm. kind of prospect point of view that, that, that actually it is in the interest of employers to understand mm. where the pay issues mm. are in their organisation and to work constructively mm. with mm. staff side representatives to, to, to address those in the interest of, of economic and business efficiency, mm. let alone whatever is ethically yeah. right or Right, right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Marion, what are the other issues in, in terms of the legal services within Prospect, within the, the union movement that, that are kind of on your radar at the moment? Well, lots of things. Equality is a big issue, much more generally, so equal pay issues. Um, also, I mean, just in terms of following on from the equal pay point, the whole issue about the fact that 
inequality in pay is not just an issue for women. It also, lots of statistics out this year about showing the pay gap for black workers, particularly those uh, with higher qualifications, and that's something to tackle. Um, earlier this year, we had our case in Supreme Court, Naeem and the Secretary of State for Justice, um, which was challenging pay in terms of race and religion. Now, that case, um, it was an individual member going all the way to the Supreme Court, so I think it does demonstrate unions' commitments to challenge these issues. Absolutely the case. Um, and we lost on the facts of that case, but what we did win um, was clarifying the principle of indirect discrimination and really um, opening up the doors for further claims on that sort of issue. So I think that's always important, and again, I think that's something that unions do which individuals went and individual law firms went unless they're working with trade unions. Because it's all about not just focusing in on the value of a claim to a particular individual, it's looking at the greater good. Um, and our Supreme Court case, I think, was very much that. It wasn't worth considerably uh, very much money to um, our member, but the point of principle in terms of extending the law and scope for indirect discrimination really important success um, and it's unions that do those sort of cases. Absolutely it is. Well Marion thank you very much for spending time with us. Uh, I think you've given us a fascinating insight into exactly why collective work by unions, by the legal services departments within unions achieve so much more than, than perhaps uh, is recognised and, and achieve really big strategic objectives that are actually impossible on an individual level. So Great. thank you very much. Thank you. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed those contributions from Sue Ferns, Deputy General Secretary, and Marion Scovel, Head of Legal at Prospect, on their plans to mark Equal Pay Day this year. If you want to find out more about the origins of Equal Pay Day and the overall national campaign, you can visit the website of the Fawcett Society, which is probably Britain's leading campaign group for gender equality. It's www.fawcettsociety, all one word. .org.uk If you want to find out more about Prospect and the work they do, not just on this but on a range of issues, it's www.prospect.org.uk and if you work in a Prospect recognised area and you're not a member, I would certainly recommend you joining. This has been a special Unions 21 podcast. To find out more about the work that we do, visit our own website which is www.unions21.org.uk This is me, Simon Sapper, saying thanks for listening and until the next podcast, goodbye. Presented by Simon Sapper and was a Makes You Think production.